Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Today, we are going to talk about how to tell the difference between a behavior from your child that looks like it's intentional or one that would be considered more of a stress response. So one of the most common questions I get from parents is this, how do I know if my child's behavior is due to their disability or if they're doing it on purpose? So I would make the argument that all behaviors have a function, so we need to kind of think about how we're asking that question. So listen in as I share my thoughts on this. Because our neurodivergent children present with skill weaknesses that occur internally, like those related to emotional dysregulation and executive functioning, when they're asked to do something that they don't have the capacity for at that moment, the first sign of distress sometimes is their avoidance or an emotional meltdown. But consider this. We would never discipline a child with a broken leg if they wouldn't run a race. So once we understand that our children's behavior is not a choice for them, but rather a stress response related to the overwhelm of the situation, or sometimes a function of an upset feeling, which I'll explain in a few minutes, we will support them and coach them rather than discipline them. And when I say discipline here, I'm meaning a negative consequence, so, or like a punishment. So think through when I say discipline throughout this podcast as how you respond to children with limits and coaching and steering them in the right direction, and sometimes some natural consequences of having them need to help make sure people are okay that they may have hurt or help make sure a space is cleaned up, that they may have lost control of their body and destroyed so there's some natural consequences that can come into play. And so when I say say discipline, um, usually I'm talking about just setting those limits. There are still some times that children need these limits to learn how to stay safe and become independent. So how do we tell the difference? When parents ask me how to figure out whether their child is intentionally engaging in a negative behavior, 
or if they're simply having a stress response. I follow up with a series of questions to help parents figure out any observable patterns to the behavior. Once we figure out the patterns, like maybe it's the same time of day or a certain task demand that keeps coming up, we can better determine if a child is developmentally ready to work on that skill, and that's why we keep getting overwhelmed, or if the situation is sending them into this stress response that is sending them way into overwhelm, like fight or flight. Both of these moments require something of us as parents, but our responses will vary depending on your child's needs. So truly, it doesn't actually matter if it's an intentional behavior, quote unquote, intentional behavior versus a stress response. What does matter is that we figure out which is which, and then we do something about it. Okay, so start with these questions. What is my child having a hard time with? Next, are they ready for me to teach them a better way? Meaning emotionally regulated and ready to problem solve and hear my words. And lastly, are they in a state of stress and need my comfort and understanding right now before I can teach them a better way? So the tricky part of parenting a neurodivergent child is that their skills can feel like a moving target. So they will continue to surprise us with things that they can do and things that they still can't do that we thought that they had mastered already. This roller coaster, I think, is the cornerstone of neurodivergent parenting. You are on this journey and you will continue to parent like setting limits and coaching with your child, but you will be making these decisions in the moment as you feel your child is able to emotionally handle it, able to balance those limits with connecting with you and co-regulating with you and problem solving alongside you. So let's review a little bit about what a lagging skill is, what learned skills are, and what skill independence is. So a few months ago, back in September, if you want to listen back to that podcast, I wrote about and talked about on my podcast how to figure out whether your child has a lagging skill or is demonstrating learned helplessness. On that podcast, I explained that the best way I've found to categorize the moving target of neurodivergent skills for parents is to divide children's skills into three phases or categories, lagging skills, learning skills, and skills of independence. So a lagging skill are tasks that your child is not yet capable of doing developmentally, not due to their chronological age, but to their developmental age, which is unique to every child and really hard to predict for neurodivergent kids. These are the tasks you are not even asking your child to do yet because they don't have the skills to do these tasks. And it's a gut feeling to you as a parent. You know they're not quite capable of this yet. Sometimes you have to check yourself and make sure that feeling is not your own anxiety, worried they're going to make a mistake because some kids have the skills, but we are worried to let them take the risk. This is a time where it's great to reach out to a teacher and say and see if they're doing the skill at school. Um, and then we know, okay, they are capable of it, but we maybe have a dynamic at home where I might be enabling this a little bit. So for instance, think about this way. This is still a lagging skill if you're, you wouldn't require your child to eat a variety of food textures if they're only able to tolerate hard and crunchy, or you wouldn't ask your child to sit and wait like their same age classmates when you know they've never been able to control their body for more than 60 seconds. So those are examples of lagging skills that you aren't even asking your child to do yet. If you do ask your child to do those, that's where we get avoidance and stress and behavior. So as children develop, they will enter the learning skills phase where they're trying new things, making mistakes, and gaining skills. Something to note here is that 
all of these categories happen for each little skill that they develop. So that's why it's like a moving target and very asynchronous. So they may be really great at advanced math, like I've said before, and have trouble finding their things. Two totally different skills. Okay, so when a child is in the learning skills phase, they need coaching from us. They need visual strategies and reminders usually to complete the task, and they need lots of practice. So children may receive external rewards while they're in this learning new skills phase to promote motivation until they are intrinsically motivated just by the satisfied feeling of accomplishment. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The Regulation Roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the Reframing Behavior Worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. Once a child reaches the skill independence phase, they can do that skill without any adult support. These tasks can then become a daily expectation within the family or the classroom because they've mastered these skills. These skills are not stressful. They might not be preferred, but the child has the skills to do them. They feel satisfied when their space is clean or when they have extra time to play because they've done their work. So when these things are complete, they are internally motivated by that feeling of satisfaction and they've contributed to the family or the classroom community. This could be a motor skill like tying shoes without help, or it could be an emotional skill like being able to calm down without throwing something. If we ask our children to do these things that tap into a lagging skill or too fast or too independent while they're still learning them, we will usually be met with a stress response. So what is happening in the brain during a stress response? Roughly three parts of our brain are involved in processing our emotions. The upper cortex, where our language and problem solving is located, our amygdala, where our emotions are located, and our brainstem, which is our survival mode of fight, flight, or fawn. It doesn't matter how much knowledge your child has about a skill in their upper cortex. If they are getting their brain hijacked by anxiety or overwhelm and they are going into fight, flight, or fawn due to feeling overwhelmed by the task, sensory demands, fatigue, hunger, any of the above, they can't access their skills and will revert to survival mode. This can look like running, fighting, throwing, hiding, screaming, or going limp. That's fawn. Parents and teachers usually describe these moments as a child being, or really a person, if you've ever seen a person be this this upset, as being kind of out of their mind. This is also a time where kids will scream things that they wouldn't scream when they're calm. At these moments of perceived attack, your child's sympathetic nervous system shifts its body's energy resources to fight off this perceived threat or flee from this perceived enemy. This enemy, evolutionarily speaking, could be a saber-toothed tiger, but now it could be a math test or an adult that the child doesn't trust. And again, every human has a different sensitivity to these triggers, so we have to honor and respect their experience. 
At this moment, their brain is not in a state to learn a new skill or even have a conversation, but rather to be calmed and co-regulated before any problem solving can ever occur. Okay, so let's get into what kind of quote-unquote intentional behavior is and why I'm putting it in quotes. So yes, there is a perceived intentionality to some behavior, but I actually see these behaviors as a maladaptive coping strategy. So let me explain. When a child is able to remain in their thinking brain or their upper cortex and process their feelings at the same time, this looks like just an angry child who's still able to talk to you and negotiate and respond, you might see behaviors that appear more intentional. So examples of these behaviors might look like walking by their sister's tower and knocking it down in a state of revenge after feeling annoyed at their sister, or thinking through something of being angry in class and breaking all the pencils so that no one in the class can do the writing assignment. Children are certainly stressed in these moments, but they're able to access enough control over their actions to make a plan to show you how upset they really are. These behaviors are perceived as intentional because they have an element of planning to them, but they're actually just maladaptive coping strategies. So hear me out on this. All children experience upset. Some children learn to cope with upset by just watching others solve problems or They'll learn from natural consequences, like if I act that way, I'm going to be left out, or if I don't finish my work, I get a low grade, so they just step it up the next time. But many neurodivergent kids with skill weaknesses in executive functioning and emotional regulation, they can't just step it up based on natural consequences, and they may not even notice how their peers are solving problems around them because they're spending all their energy surviving in the classroom or in a social situation or when they're tired at the end of the day. So we have to explicitly teach them more adaptive ways to respond. Sure, a consequence will let them know that what they have done was not expected by the adult, but without teaching them a better way, they will likely just remain stuck in this negative feedback loop of behavior and consequence and behavior and consequence, and it will just leave them feeling very defeated. So instead, we want to validate the feeling you see in your child and show them a better way. For instance, once a child is calm, you can say, I know you are mad at your sister, but if you knock down her tower, she will also be mad back at you and continue to annoy you. Next time, come get me when you're upset and we will figure out a way to talk to her together about what she's doing to annoy you. In this moment, you are teaching an adaptive coping strategy of problem solving that will hopefully lead to better results for all involved. Is this exhausting for parents? Yes, but you will reap the benefits of this later on. Okay, so how can we help prevent stress responses? So when you've identified that your child is having lots of stress responses, maybe it's the the age they are, the demands on them in the environment, your role is to just keep everyone safe and just nurture them through the stress rather than trying to set any limits or do any teaching when their nervous system can't handle it. So many times we can get ahead of stress responses with a few prevention strategies to support our child if their daily life is full of stress responses like meltdowns, refusals at transition, and separation anxiety. Number one, prioritize sleep. Sleep is the foundation of emotional regulation. Without it, you and your child will remain in a stress cycle. So just sleep first and make sure everyone is getting enough 
And if you're not, talk to your doctor, your child's doctor or therapist about this because this is a priority. Two, add structure. Reducing anxiety and adding predictable routines and structure to your family schedule can be huge in preventing a lot of stress. Three, reduce demands until you see engagement. So if you're being met with lack of engagement, lack of engagement, difficulty with transitions, keep making things simpler and simpler. Slow it down, reduce demands, cancel activities, increase connection, engage in your child's interests until you see more engagement. Four, pair interests with challenging tasks. So stressful tasks need to be balanced with something that's interesting to make it more tolerable. This is true of all of us, so we've got to help it be true for our kids too. Sample pairings include playing favorite music while your child is cleaning or matching academic tasks with your child's interests. Five, tell people exactly what you need. If your family, your child, you are in a high moment of stress, a high season of stress in your life, tell your friends, your family, your child's team, stress is high right now and you've got to step back from a few things. Tell them what you will not be showing up to. Ask them maybe not to say hi to your kid or engage in conversation and force it if your child is overwhelmed by social interaction. So be really specific. Once you have a few adults in your life that know what you and your family are working on, you will feel less stressed too because you won't feel so alone. I wanted to also add in this week my blog post from last week, which is short and sweet, but very, very important. So I hear often from parents, and I have felt this myself, that as you're talking to teachers, as you're talking to these friends I'm asking you to talk to, bringing everyone into your circle, you will soon realize that some people get it and some people don't. And it sometimes is hard to help people get it if they haven't lived it. But I'm on a mission to help everyone get it regardless of that. So here are some examples of times that someone gets it. So it means a teacher who sees the ripped paper but assumes frustration and not intentional destruction of property. More times than not, ripped paper is a stress response. And if it's not, it's an art project of some kind. So helping a child know what to do with their paper or know what to do when they're frustrated, that person gets it because they're teaching an adaptive coping strategy. It means a school administrator who hears profanity but sees an overwhelmed and frustrated kid and not a rude one. Sure, this comes off rude, but we're not going to teach that kid an adaptive coping strategy or a better way without helping understand the feeling underneath the profanity. It means a soccer coach who sees a meltdown about socks and shin guards and patiently understands the need for more time to process the feeling of sweaty, itchy soccer gear. It means a piano teacher who understands when you show up for lessons, but your child cannot get out of the car due to the routine being different that day. It means a religious leader who allows your child to sit with you to sing instead of insisting they stand up in front of the group. It means a grandparent who sees you picking battles about food so that you can nourish your child that day. And it means an adult friend who listens to your child talk about the details of space travel and notices how their face, face lights up. It means a teacher who celebrates and shares with excitement that your child asked for help after months of not being able to speak up in class. It means a therapist who knows aggression is a stress response leading to emotional dysregulation 
And the goal is just to help that child feel connected, safe, and then learn the skills. It means a teacher who sees your child's strengths and your child's need for support and believes that, yes, these are vastly different abilities that can coexist in the same child. It means someone sees your child beyond the behaviors that may cause adults to become overwhelmed. They get it, and they are now part of your village. So pass this podcast on today to someone who needs to better understand the stress response versus the intentional behavior discussion, but also someone who might say, yes, I agree, that's it. Anyone who needs to hear this today, pass it on. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.